Open your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter number 8. So how in the world are you going to preach on Christmas from the book of Acts? I didn't say it was. But the book of Acts is the perfect place to preach on Christmas. And we'll see that as we go today. Acts, chapter 8, verse number 26. Do you have it? All right. Listen to what it says. And the angel of the Lord spake to Philip, saying, Rise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza. You hear a lot on television about the Gaza Strip. That's a little strip of desert that runs from Israel to Egypt. That's what that Gaza Strip is. It is on the west bank. That means it's on the western side of the Jordan, and so they try to claim it. And that's the only place where they really have much of a stronghold at this point. And so he's going down to Gaza, which is desert. And it is. It's nothing but desert. And he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship and was returning and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit said to Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And so today, by God's grace, I want to preach to you about the man who took Christmas home. The man who took Christmas home. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for the, our worship already today, the praises of you and the joy that we feel today. We thank you, Lord, for the little babies you've been standing on this platform with good moms and daddies and those that's going to come to follow. And God, may somebody be able to stand here years later and say the same thing that I could say today that they had seen moms and daddy come to know Jesus and they had watched their babies grow up to become servants in the church of Jesus. Now, Lord, we love you and um, we thank you for this, these folks who have been so good. I pray today, though, if there's somebody here hiding among the stuff and they need to get saved, no matter how much I love them, if they're not saved, God, they need to get born again. And God, no matter how much I love them, if they're not right with you, if they're backslidden, they need to get right with God. So God, whatever needs to be done here, I pray that you'll take this old war out preacher and do something through him by your Holy Ghost power. In Jesus' name, amen. This is one thing that will always be needed in the church and usually always going to be a shortage of in the church, and that's this, personal soul winners. They'll always be needed, and there'll always be a lack of them. 
when Jesus even said, you know, the fields are ripe in the harvest, but I don't have any laborers to go. And so I think we're always going to see that till Jesus comes. And here we see Philip, the deacon. He is a personal soul winner. We're not told that he is a preacher, but he is a personal soul winner. Remember, a deacon's requirement in Acts chapter 6, verse 3 was to be full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And the proverb says this, he that winneth souls is wise. So you cannot be wise unless you are a soul winner. In fact, you're not very wise in spiritual things at all if the heart don't beat to see people saved. That's what deacons ought to be. That's what teachers ought to be. That's what preachers ought to be. That's what laymen ought to be. That's what our children even ought to be. Personal soul winners. And so he, um, the evidence of a real biblical Christmas it's soul winning efforts. Let me ask you something. How many of you intend, don't raise, don't raise your hand, don't see it. How many of you intend this Christmas? You've already planned about it. You've already been praying about it. There's somebody you want to witness to this Christmas. There's somebody you want to talk to Jesus to this, about this Christmas. There's somebody that you'd like to win to Christ this Christmas. There's somebody that's a burden on your heart this Christmas. Is there anybody here today that feels that in their heart today? If not, start praying now that God would give you somebody because the first thing I want you to notice in verse number 26 is the value of one soul. In other words, Christmas for one man. God can send Christmas for one man. Back in Samaria, a revival was going on, folks getting saved all over the place, people that was demon-possessed were getting delivered all over the place, great joy was filling the cities, the Bible said, the mighty crusade that Philip the deacon was having there uh, was involved with great crowds coming every day and night to hear him preach, but all of a sudden God said, I want you to leave this. Wait, 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 wait a minute, God, we're having a revival. Look at all these folk getting saved. Look at all these people that's coming. God said, I want you to go somewhere else. And so very suddenly, he takes him from that place and goes to the desert. I want you to leave this exciting revival and go to the desert. Sometimes God does that. Uh, he has his reasons for doing that. But in this particular case, he did it because there's the value of one soul. Philip had already won enough folks to Christ where he was that they ought to be winning people to Jesus left and right everywhere. So why don't he go somewhere where nobody's heard about Jesus? So God takes him down to one man. Well, that would be two, right? But one man. That's it. He goes down to one man. In a great revival, everything that you could dream of in a revival was happening the way you would want it to, and yet God moved him down to the desert. God in his universal wisdom already knew that there was a man there longing in his heart to be saved, and so for one soul, God will move heaven and earth for him to be saved if he wants to. Y'all hear that? If there had been only one person in this world that would have been a sinner and wanted to be saved, the Lamb of God would have come and died on a cross so he could be saved or she could be saved. 
So today as we look at this scripture, Christmas to us ought to not mean a baby in a manger. The Bible says the baby was not born for us to gloat over him in a manger. The baby was born to die. The baby was born as a lamb, which meant sacrificial lamb. He was going to be sacrificed on the altar for, to, of God's altar. And so here today, there's the value of one soul. This Christmas, I hope you'll think more. You know, I, I know you're going to get all your technological gadgets and gidgets and widgets and all that thing. You're going to all get excited about that, and that's okay. That's all right. That's good. It's good God blesses us with that stuff. But let, let's understand what this thing is about. It's not about all that. It's not about Target having a one-eyed dog with, the, with, with, with where they won't even let, let them ring the bell till two years ago till they got so much pressure and, uh, from the uh, Salvation Army that they had to start letting them ring the bell again where they won't mention the name of Christ. They don't even mention the name of Christmas, I don't think, in their store anymore. I don't go in Target. I don't go in any store, but I sure don't go in Target. I'm not going in there. I'm not going to help that bunch of infidels build their business. Now, if you won't shop there, I think God probably won't kill you for it, but that's up to you. <laughs> Truth of the matter is, Christmas not about that. It's not about getting a new Lexus and doing flips. Now, if I got a new Lexus, I'd do a few flips. But that's not what Christmas is about. I couldn't say, oh, wow, it's Christmas. I got a Lexus. Has nothing to do with that. Has nothing to do with any kind of gift. Has nothing to do with any, any kind of giving that we can do. It has to do with one gift, and that gift is from above. And that's what Christmas is about. So there's the value of one soul, Christmas. Secondly, there's the visitation of a soul winner. Jesus visited us with good news. That's what a soul winner is. We take good news to people who's never heard anything but bad news and tell them that stuff that's making you miserable, that thing that's ruining your life, we've got something to tell you to change you. You can be forgiven. You can be saved. You can be washed in the blood. You can be clean. You don't have to stay like you are. It's good news. So Jesus came down as a first sower, the visitation of a soul. He visited planet Earth. God became man, Emmanuel so that he could visit one man. Oh, a lot of other men he visited too, but he came for this man today that we're looking at. Um, you know, there's all kinds of visitation things. There's all kinds of programs. I've took most of them. I've been to all the trainings. I've been to all the classes. I've read all the books. But folks, I'm going to tell you, none of them motivates me. You know what motivates me? is that when I see somebody like I've heard over the last two or three weeks, it just blesses me more than anything in the world. Folks have come by me and said, I just want to thank you, Brother Glenn, that you led my dad to the Lord or you led my sister to the Lord or I got saved here at Hillcrest Baptist Church and I'm thankful for this church and the time you've been here. That's what motivates me. Not the fact that, not, not, not the fact that we know how to do it. And we're trained how to do it. And we've got all the pieces of how to do it. 
What we need to do is do it. It don't take much to be a soul winner. No, it don't take much to be a soul winner. The Bible is very clear, I think. You know, we hear about the Roman road. And, and you know, when I, when I lead people to Christ, I usually use the Roman road, sometimes with some addition to it, but I usually use the Roman road. How many of you do the same thing? Do y'all witness? Hey, <laughs> hey, I'm talking to you. How many of y'all, how many of you know what the Roman road is? All right, okay. You know what it is, you're just not going, right? Okay. <laughs> but did you know you don't have to use the Roman road to lead somebody to Jesus? There's the Isaiah road. He said, this man was going down the road. What was he reading? Isaiah. So there's the Isaiah road. Well, you say, what would you do, Brother Glenn, if you was going to lead somebody to the Lord out of the book of Isaiah? Say, they, that, 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 they really need to know. Well, first of all, I'd take them to Isaiah 53, 6 and show them there's a sinner. Second of all, I would take them to Isaiah 53, 12, and I would show them that Jesus bore the payment for their sin. And then thirdly, I would take them on 50, uh, uh, to Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 10, and say that not only did he bear our sin and pay for it, but he died for us because he loved us. And then lastly, I would take them to Isaiah 55, 67 and say, if by faith you receive Jesus Christ, he'll come into your life and forgive you and change you and save you. I say, you can go right down to Isaiah Road. You don't have to have Roman Road. Roman Road's very simple. Most of us memorized it. But there's other roads to go down. And so he decided since he was reading that one, that's the road they would take. So let's look at the attitude, first of all, of the eunuch. Verse 27, verse 28. First of all, he had an attitude of humility about him. He was a man of Ethiopia. Very well could have been a, a black man. Ethiopia was down in Africa. And, or he could have been a Jew who had been transported down there somewhere uh, during the transition. He would have been made a eunuch probably. And, and eunuchs, Daniel probably was another who was made a eunuch. And they were made a eunuch because they could be trusted with things. You see, you, you don't want to put somebody who's not a eunuch over your concubines. It don't work. It just don't work. So they would make them eunuchs put them over their concubines. Here's the second thing they'd do. They'd put them over their money because they would be the most trusted people in the kingdom. So here, this unit was very humble, had everything at his disposal, all, all the things from Ethiopia that they had sent with him, all the, the, the uh, uh, barrage of people that had come with him, and there they're all going back now to Ethiopia. They'd been to Jerusalem. They'd been to find something. They'd been to get something. They wanted to go to Christmas time. But here they are. All of the Passover days is over. All of the feast days are over. He's heading back home. All he's got is he must have bought a scroll or got a hold to a scroll, and he's reading for himself Isaiah in the Bible. 53, we're told, is where he's reading. A eunuch. Well, that meant he would never be a father. That meant he would never have a wife. That meant that um, 
he would have some opportunities that other people would not have to reach people for Christ. The word candace here is the word dynasty. It refers to a dynasty title. It's the same thing like Pharaoh. The word candace for the Ethiopians would be like Pharaoh's for the Egyptians. And so that's why that word is thrown in there. And he was very prominent, had great authority. When he told somebody to do something, they better do it because he was very trusted. He had many people under him. He controlled all probably the money of, of the king, uh, head of the treasury department. They probably appointed special counsel over him to check him out. But he was appointed over all the, all the treasury. Well, there's something else you noticed about him. Not only do you see an attitude of humility about him, but you see an attitude of hunger about him. He had come over 200 miles to worship at Jerusalem, and he left with nothing. You say there's a lot of folks in church that say I'm not getting fed and all. Your problem is you're not eating. But this guy's problem wasn't that. He was hungry. There just wasn't anything for him to eat. The rabbis, I'm sure he went there hoping I get to talk to the rabbis and I get to talk to the scholars and, and I, I get to talk to the teachers and the learners and I'm going to learn so much about the Bible and about Jehovah God. I'm excited about it. He got there. He got nothing. Nothing. I wonder how many of us go home and we can say today the preacher didn't even open his Bible. The preacher didn't preach the word today. The preacher didn't give an invitation. The preacher didn't even talk about Jesus Christ who loved us and died for from Calvary. Mm. He was hungry. You see, Philip was so directed by God for one reason. You know why he could be directed by God? Y'all listening to me? Okay. Quit typing. Listen. Okay. Put it on your Bible page, all right? You know why that he could tell Philip what to do and Philip would do it? He was available. He said, you see, Philip was available. If I want Philip to do something, God said, I'll say, Philip, go, and Philip will go. You see, the problem with many of us, God says go, and we don't go. And then we say, well, I don't know why God don't let me have some more opportunities. I tell you why, because you didn't go when you did have them. Mm -mm. You say, man, you ain't got but three, two or three Sundays left here. You're done making everybody mad. Well, I'm just telling you the truth. If you want to see this church back what it ought to be, we'll start being soul winners. We'll understand that every soul is valuable. And we'll understand that our attitude's got to change. It's got to be one of humility. There's nobody here that gets to wear a halo. Every one of us are saved by the grace of God. Every one of us was sinners. Every one of us deserved hell. And listen, we better get back to telling people that. And so he had that attitude. He could listen. And so he goes. You remember, I thought it was interesting. That when uh, Philip, uh, you know, was what? You remember what he was? He, he was a Greek. He was a Greek. He was a Grecian. And in John chapter 12, the Bible said that they come to Jesus 
And they said, sirs, we would see Jesus. You know who they were? The Greeks. The Greeks. You see, there was something in their heart that had a hunger that they'd never been told about. It's a matter of Jesus Christ. Are you hungry for Jesus today? Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, they might be filled, is that what he said? No, they shall be filled. Verse 28 shows he is still reading from Isaiah. He doesn't pay much attention. A hitchhiker alongside the road, pay much attention to him. He's still reading from God's Word, the scroll from the book of Isaiah. You see, I believe there's some lost people who have a greater hunger for God than some people who say they're saved. Boy, he, he's hungry. Now, here's some good soil. Philip understood this. Here, here's some soil ready to have a seed dropped in it. Here's some soil that is ready and tilled, and this soil is going to bring forth fruit. As long as lost people will not admit to needing help, they will remain without hope. But when they admit that they need help, hope is on the way. And that's what this kind of this, this man, even though he didn't know what he needed, even though he didn't know how to get it, he, he had in his desire, he wanted that hope of Jesus Christ. And so, the third thing I want you to notice is the arrangement of God, verse number 29. Have you ever had what I call divine encounters? I'm not talking about with an alien. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm not talking about you when you first put that moose in your hair. Not that. A divine encounter is when that God all of a sudden places you in the presence at Walmart, restaurant, family reunion, maybe just casually, ballpark, casually places you there, and all of a sudden, you know, we get to talking about the Lord, and next thing you know, he doesn't know the Lord. Next thing you know, you're inviting him to church, and the next thing you know, he's giving his heart to Jesus Christ. That's called divine encounters. And God lets us bump into lost people if we'll witness to them. Y'all still with me? So, so look at that arrangement of God in verse number, verse number 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near, join thyself to this chariot. God had arranged this meeting. And God had made this arrangement already so Philip could win this man to Christ. When you are available, God will lead us into situations of witness. If you're not available, God won't. But when you're available, God, I want to lead somebody to Jesus. That's my heart. I love you. I want somebody to come to know you. I'll guarantee you, you'll have those divine encounters. Got to lead folks. You'll bump into them along the way. Somehow, some way, somewhere, it'll happen. And God arranged some meeting for special purposes of witnesses. But if we're not available, we've missed some of God's greatest arrangements. Isn't it amazing how that God has set everything up for us to have a Holy Ghost move in a person's life and we walk away? A divine arrangement had come. 
I want you to look at the approach of a soul winner. The approach of a soul winner. Verses 29 through 35. First of all, in verse 29, I want you to notice the sensitivity to the Spirit. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. He heard the Spirit, not with his ears. He heard the Spirit as it led him and guided him in his life. He knew where God wanted him to go. Somebody said, "Why? What, you, you're leaving Hillcrest because of that? You're leaving Hillcrest because of that? You're leaving Hillcrest? I ain't, I ain't leaving Hillcrest, number one. Amen. Not till about after two weeks when somebody says, we don't want you here no more, then I'll go. But, you know, I, I didn't quit because anybody told me to quit, wanted me to quit, prayed that I'd quit. Desired that I quit? Had prayer meetings that I quit? I didn't leave for any of that. I left for one reason. You can ask our deacons. They'd known for quite some time. I just said, I'll know when God's ready and I'll pull the switch. And I did. And listen, folks, if you're sensitive to the Holy Ghost, you'll know what, when, and where. When there's lost people. And God usually will take you from a place maybe where there's great revival to a little place to where there's needed revival. All my life I've preached in the biggest church I preach in is right here. I preach in, well, I preach in some maybe bigger, but I, it, 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 most of all I, I preach in country churches, you know, around 150, 75. 150, you know, those, those size churches. And so, you know, I, I don't know what God's going to do and what, God, what God's going to let me do, but it could be that God said, hey, you've done, man, you've you, you bloated it out there. You've given everything you got there. I've got a little church over here somewhere. They had never heard much. Or it could be that you've gone witnessing and witnessing and witnessing and you've gone to the people you wanted to go to where all along God was saying, won't you go right over at that house? I know they don't look very nice, and I know they've got dogs tied in the yard, and I know there's some garbage out back. Won't you go over there and see what they want? Could be right then you'd lead somebody to Jesus. Because it, 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 was, it, was it was a sensitivity to the Spirit. That's what he had. There's all kinds of those, what we would call chance meetings in our life. And so... But look, he was obedient to that spirit. Philip ran thither. He, he saw this as urgent. He didn't just go, well, you know, Moses on over here. No, no, no. He ran, the Bible says. It was urgent. Obedient to the spirit. And look, he took the initiative. He ran thither ran thither to him, and he just simply asked a question to begin a conversation. His approach was simply to ask the question to begin the conversation. He was not rude. He was not mean. He was not ugly. He respected their space. That's exactly what he did. He took the initiative. And there he stands. But I want you to know something that a lot of God's people don't know, and some of them know it too much. And that's that when he went soul winning, he was tactful. Now, I know you think I hadn't got any. 
I know. I know. I can, I can just hear something. He ain't got no tact. I don't know why he's preaching on that. I just tell him to hush and let me finish preaching, and then you can talk about that when you get out in the parking lot. But tactful is how you have to approach lost people. You got to realize their house is their house, not your house. Their car is their car, not your car. Their space is their space, not your space. And if you're going to reach folks, you've got to come and respect them as a human being that has a soul that Jesus loved and died for. He's attacked. Philip approached this man with a respect for his feelings, and he was very gracious to him. He didn't try to be abrasive. He didn't try to be offensive. He didn't try to be embarrassing. No. Uh, listen, folks. Every man's soul is independent. We must deal with people personally. And so he respected the feelings of this man, and he keyed in on one thing that could be used. He was observant for this opening. The one thing he saw, he, God had given him an opening because the man is reading out of the book of Isaiah. See, tactfulness is very... That, that was a, he was sensitive enough that he could see, hey, that guy's reading the Bible. It gives me a good chance to talk to him. Now, don't go soul winning like that guy knew in Huntsville. The guy down in Huntsville, Alabama, here's how he went soul winning. Well, he got a lot of people saved. Not, didn't get many of them baptized, but he got a lot of people saved. He would walk up to him and say, you saved? No, you're going to hell. Well, I don't know why I believe that. He said, let me have your hand. He'd take a cigarette lighter out, put his other on his hand. Said, do you feel that? Hell's going to be hotter than that. Just left that cigarette lighter right there. That guy jerked him away. That's not a good way to witness. But a lot of them got saved. <laughs> they got saved just so he put that cigarette lighter up, you know. But, but, but we have all kinds of, of things that we do, and God's just not pleased with the way we approach people sometimes. Now, some people, no matter what you do, will be offended, but that's okay. You have to show some concern. Here's what God wants to see. God wants to see out of my heart and your heart that you come to see somebody not because you had to, but because in your heart you had a desire to. Are y'all with me? Well, you know, you see, um, look over the book of Jude, and then I'm going to be through here pretty quick. What time? Is it? Oh, I've got plenty of time. Actually, I got to the 31st. I could preach right on into the 31st. You know what? Look at Jude 21. You got it? We, we done had one Jude up here today. Here's a, here, here's a Jude. But he beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Verse 20. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost is not speaking in tongues. It doesn't say that. Nowhere in the Bible does it indicate that. Praying in the Holy Ghost is, is that the Holy Ghost prays through you to up there, and up there hears that prayer and brings it back through you. Y'all got it? So you pray in the Holy Ghost. That's one way you deal with people. You pray for them and keep praying for those opportunities. And then you keep yourself in the love of God. That means that 
you stay obedient to God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You make sure that you make sure your life is fit to go witness to somebody else. And then he says, when you do, here's some three ways to go about it. Of some having compassion, making a difference. In other words, you go to them in a totally different way than you would go to anybody else. They're fragile. They're easily broken. Or they may be that the fact is they, they don't have friends and they're not friendly. And, and they, th there's all kinds of reasons where you would, might need to be very cautious in the way you deal with that person. And God leads you along the way. So he said, some have compassion. I mean, just in your heart, have compassion on that person, knowing you stood where they did one day. Okay, look what else he says. He goes, pulling them out of the fire. Saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Now, that's hellfire and brimstone preaching. That's making them clearly aware there's a burning hell, and you better get it settled now. You don't have long. That's for those who are dying quickly. That's for those who need to get born again quick. Pull them out of the fire. Devil, you're not getting him. You may have his feet, but we're going to get him out. And so I don't believe people can get saved right before they die. What's wrong with you? Jesus can save anybody, anytime, anywhere, any place. I thank God there have been a lot of hospital beds that people give their heart to Christ on and a lot of homes that people give their heart to Christ on when they were very sick. So you have to take a different approach, but then there's a, another one that he says, even the garment spotted by the flesh. In other words, you make sure that when you go, they have nothing to point to in your life that would get them off your back, their back. Go hear that? You say, you know, I heard a guy tell me, he said, you know, I don't see anything wrong with drinking beer. You know, I talk to people about the Lord all the time, drinking beer. Well, quit it. We don't need that kind of witnessing. And we don't need that kind of Christian. Because I can tell you one thing, you're not going to win them to Christ. You're going to start being more like them, more like them, more like them. Next thing you know, you're going to be doing worse than what you are. But you hear people come up with all these excuses how they can witness and still live like the devil. God said, no, sir, there is some ways that we, if we're going to win people, we have to make sure that our life stays unspotted. You all with me? So, tradition says that this man, this eunuch, went home with Christmas. He believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He stopped and was baptized. He took off home and Philip was picked up and swept away by the Spirit of God. Just but boom, he's gone. And he took Christmas back to Ethiopia. They'd never had Christmas before. They might have had some voodoo sticks. They might have had some things like that. But did you know that we're told that Africa in the days of the early church, listen to me, y'all listen to me, don't feel sorry too much today for Africa. Because Africa in the early days of the church was known 
as a great gospel awakening place. And now they have totally left it for communism, idolatry, socialism, and Islam. Voodoo left that one out. I'm convinced in my heart that that's why parts of Africa are so judged is because in all their opportunities, they said no to Jesus. He said, that won't never happen here. Oh, don't say that. As much Jesus as we've had and said no to, it could happen any day. Tomorrow we could wake up with every bank chained. Nothing in our cupboards and no gas in our vehicle. And your dish TV won't work. Those days could come. And friend, I'm telling you, we're setting ripe right now. I want today for somebody that just, you're going to go through Christmas like you always have. Why don't you get a victory of a soul winner? That's the last thing. Why don't you just have a victory of a soul winner? First of all, to hear his confession in verse 37. I mean, just testimonies of somebody getting saved blesses you, don't it? And then secondly, to see them baptized. When people get baptized here, it blesses us. And then to share his joy. Look at verse 39. To share his joy. It came up out of the water of the Spirit of the Lord, caught away Philip, and you know, went on his way rejoicing. And see, he shared in that joy. I don't know where he, where, where he went or how God took him, but wherever Philip was at, he was rejoicing in the fact that this old boy was taking Christmas home. And Christmas had come to Ethiopia. There's joy in soul winning. You say, where's it at? In my heart that he lets us be an instrument. He could have used an angel, but he didn't. He won't. He made us for that. And then by their hope. Some people live, live with no hope whatsoever. They just think life is just, it, it's over when life, when it, I cease to breathe, it's gone. I have no hope. It, it rejoices me in my heart to see somebody that has hope the new hope of heaven in their heart. Did you know there's even soul winners in hell? That old boy that went to hell, you remember that rich man? He cried out, Father Abraham, if you'd just send somebody, one of the prophets or somebody to my five brethren, they'd get saved. God said if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, they won't hear one that rose from the dead. Even in hell they went so. Because they don't want people to go where they are. And church ought to win souls so that the church can win more souls. I don't know where you're ready or not to die. I know it's not a good you know, I don't really, right now, I feel pretty good. I don't really feel like talking about dying. But I do feel like talking about if you die, that you can go to heaven.